You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, I'm not used to having Christmas off. It was nice to be with family. I don't ever want it to happen again. I've said this before. I've never been so anxious to get started the next year as I was at the end of this past season. I think our entire team had that attitude. It was great to see the Big Ten have good success in bowls. Um, There's some really good performances by Big Ten teams that we battled with and played well with and in some cases uh, had a chance to win or won the games. It, it lets me know that even though the, the program wasn't anywhere near where I want it yet at the end of last season, that maybe we're not that far away. And I think that's uh, that can be a beacon of hope for all of us as, as we're working really hard this offseason. I don't know if I've seen an incoming class in my career that has me as excited uh, from that standpoint. You can go across the board and, and see kids that were winners in high school, that were team captains in high school, that were state champions, that were in playoff games and semifinals and state championships. I don't think we're going to be short on leadership from this class. And welcome here to this post-signing day edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus. Well, Nate, I mean, we got so much to talk about. I mean, it was just a jam-packed signing day. Break down all the new players Nebraska added, Nate, here on signing day. Including walk-ons? <laughs> yeah, no. Well, only about 50 guys. <laughs> all joking aside, I mean, a very un- uneventful signing day for the most part nationally. And and, and that, that really is going to be the trend going forward. Nebraska added one more signed player to Marion Houston because Noah Paul Gates signed in December. They announced it. Um, after the Polynesian Bowl uh, because of his wishes. And then, obviously, Diedrich Mills, um, he beat the JUCO deadline and was able to sign in January uh, before the JUCO early letter deadline uh, came to close. So Nebraska added just one new letter of intent, and that was wide receiver to Marion Houston, Nate. And, and you are an old-school signing guy, like signing day guy like me. We've been around it almost 20 years covering these things. And it's going to be hard to get used to this, but this is just going to be the norm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely different, that's for sure. I mean, um, the the days of having a handful, you know, close to double-digit guys that are going to be announcing their decisions or, or maybe guys that were on the fence, um, you know, with their commitment and maybe being pulled in other directions. I mean, all that drama is pretty much out the door. I think the, the new norm now is – is probably only going to be a couple guys uh, down the stretch for the, for the February signing day, and um, a, a lot less drama um, and in anticipation or whatever you want to call it. So, and it, it's not necessarily a bad thing, uh, and, and actually, I think it's probably a good thing if you're a coach because uh, it makes January a heck of a lot easier on you having uh, the large majority of your class in the boat. But uh, it's definitely a change from what we're used to. Yeah, I think really, Nate, What to me, when I look at how this new cycle has gone, the in-home visit just doesn't have near the, the power as it used to were. Back in January, I mean, you could just blow up the recruiting process with in-home visits that weren't expected were now, you know, because of the urgency to sign in December, you're so focused on your current commits that you really don't have a lot of time to go out and try to do a couple sneaky in-home visits and really try to blow up the recruiting process because everybody's kind of in a mad race to get everybody signed in December now. Where back in the day, January was this month where, I mean, I just remember all the stories of, oh, wow, they snuck in and got this guy for a visit or this school came in and snuck in and visited this Nebraska guy. You just don't see that. And I think that has eliminated a lot of the drama. Yeah, it has eliminated a lot of the drama. And, you know, in the, in the days of a lot of new targets popping up on the radar are, are gone, too. You know, it used to be, <laughs> especially at Nebraska over the last the 10, old Sunbelt dumpster diving yeah, days, 10, you know, over the last 10 years <laughs> or so. Um, you know, the, the last three weeks or so of January, you know, that last contact period were full of brand new names. You're in new guys in the rivals. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, and I think for Nebraska's sake, that's probably a good thing uh, because a lot of those guys that, that they you know, took flyers on late in the process never really worked out. But um, yeah, it's just it's kind of the, the new norm now. Guys are committing a lot earlier across the board and um, you know, once the season is over and you're heading into the, the December contact period, I think your board is pretty much set. You, you, you know who you're going in home with. There might be a couple new guys or you might get a, a surprise in-home visit with, uh, with a player or two. But for the most part, it's, it's pretty much set and, and you're hoping to, to land, you know, 80, 90 percent of your class in December and, and then close it out with uh, just a handful of guys in, in February. The one thing I think that's really changed it, too, is with coaching changes because of how 
it affects those guys. They just have such a limited pool of players. I look at Kansas State with Chris Kleiman or Maryland um, with Mike Loxley and, and, and some of these places that had a really kind of scramble just to get a respectable number on the line. I mean, not, not a full number, just like an 18-ish type number. Um, those are, you know, I, I feel like the new signing day almost sets a new program back a year where you could almost sometimes salvage a recruiting class with the old system because you'd have nine fresh bodies going out and everybody was still available. I mean, you could go in and just wreck up a bunch of people's recruiting classes because you'd go in and visit their guys because they hadn't signed yet. You can't do that anymore. Yeah, you can't do that anymore. It, yeah, it used to be a transition class you could pretty much guarantee was going to be in the high 20s to maybe even low 30s as far as total uh, signees, and, and that's that's not going to happen anymore. Um, and really it makes what they did last year um, you know, in the first year of the early signing period, uh, that much. The group more of five impressive. really benefits from this too. Yeah, I think because the group of five doesn't have to worry. Because in January, what, what would have happened is the K states, the Marylands, etc. They're going in and looking at the, the group of five commit lists and trying to take some of those group of five kids and say, why go group of five? Come power five. Yeah, exactly. It, it, not even just the the K states of, of the world. I mean, I, you would see that happen um, with, with some bigger programs too. And Iowa, yeah, Iowa I, does it a lot. Yeah, Iowa does it a lot. Um, you know, it's so. Uh, it's changed a lot, and then and then you add in the the added layer of the transfer portal now, um, the where portal. the portal. So it just sounds yeah. so yeah, it's all this some, robotic. Yeah, but I mean that's that's a legitimate recruiting tool now. There's so many players that are you know technically available now that uh, you it's almost to your advantage to to at least have a spot or two in your back pocket to to kind of to work the transfer market and, and see if you can bring in somebody that can play immediately you're listening here to the Husker Online show Sean Callahan Nate Klaus as we talk about this Nebraska class we're going to talk about it in depth more in the next two segments but Nebraska just outside the top 15 I think number 16 Nate in the in the rivals rankings kind of hovering right there yeah, as of the taping of the show, they're they're sitting at 16. There's there could still be some late movement. You know, um, Florida State jumped Nebraska that that kind of pushed them out of the top 15. But they've got a couple players that, as of right now, have not signed. Uh, Nick Cross, in particular, who's a top 100 uh, prospect, uh, safety out of Maryland, he's not signed, and it's looking like he may end up flipping from Florida State to maybe Penn State or even Maryland. And if that happens, that could allow Nebraska to jump back into the 15, top 15. But I mean, this is what I want to ask you, though. You know, kind of the 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 sample size of Nebraska recruiting classes as well as anyone. I mean, you've been around it, following it from the early days to working around almost eight or ten years of it as on the coaching staff to now with your job in the media. When you look at Nebraska at number 16, coming off four and eight back-to-back seasons, and you look at the other teams next to them in those rankings in that top 15-ish range, it's remarkable, isn't it, to think about what they were able to get out of this year, kind of knowing the location. Um, and a lot of it, the in-state year was really good in Nebraska. That helps. Yeah, that definitely helps. Um, but it's pretty remarkable to see Nebraska in that number um, knowing the other teams that are around them all had much better seasons. Yeah, all of them. I mean, really, outside of Florida Ar- State, yeah, Florida State or Arkansas. I mean, pretty much every other team had a way better season than Nebraska. And, and like you said, I think the big point there is back-to-back four and eight seasons. Um, you know, that's that can be a lot to overcome. But you know, due to the a good year in state, um, you know, and, and then just you know the way that this class came together with a lot of their top targets that they. Really, the players that they initially targeted uh, a year ago, you know, last January, last February, um, and they were able to, to kind of close the deal on a lot of those players. That's what allowed Nebraska to have, you know, essentially a top 15 class. And it's pretty remarkable because that has not happened since 2011. Uh, that was a top 15 class, number 15 in the country. Um, and then prior to that, the best class uh, was 05. That was the number five. Well, I class. think Callahan was at 06 or 07 was still a pretty good year too. Yeah, that was still that was a top 20 class. Um, Callahan had three in a row, yep. five, six, and seven, that were all pretty good. And then 08 would have been just as good, if uh, not maybe the, the best. maybe the best all time. Yeah. <laughs> It was shaping up to be that way before the wheels came off, but um, but yeah, Callahan had a very strong run. Uh, but we're that's kind of what we're starting to see right now. You know, uh, in in just a, about a month or a month and a half time uh, last year, you saw the staff uh, close the deal. I think they were 21 last year, just outside of the top 20. 
uh, and then to do what they've done this year at number 16 right now, I think that's uh, you know that's a positive sign, and, and that's probably going to be the area where you can come to expect Nebraska to, to be from here on out. I think uh, especially once the wins start happening on the football field, uh, that's going to give Nebraska even more momentum on the recruiting trail. And um, you know, as good as this class is, the 2019 class, I, I think the the 2020 and, and beyond uh, could be even better. All right, when we come back, we are going to delve in more uh, to just the offensive numbers on this class and kind of look more at the offensive side that's next here you're listening to this signing day edition of the husker online show you're listening to the husker online show your authority on nebraska athletics yeah just being honest when you come in as a new coach you're two years behind because you're just starting to um, come in here we were just starting to look at 2019 guys last year that we could get to nebraska in december work a lot farther down the road now, looking at 2020s already in January, some 2021s. And we're probably still a, a half a cycle behind, uh, but that's going to be easy to catch the rest of the way up in May. Uh, having already looked at some young kids, our May recruiting um, can be a little more specific with some of the targets we've already found, and we'll probably be able to get even farther ahead with the 21 class. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, this segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill. Get on into Tanner's here over the weekend as plenty of college basketball action on. Also, the uh, American Alliance starts up. A number of Husker players will be playing uh, for Utah and Phoenix um, in that league and uh, also San Antonio. So uh, get on into any of those Tanner's locations and check out all the action. Get some of the great food. Five locations in Omaha, one in Lincoln. Nate, you heard Scott Frost there mention about just kind of how they're feeling like they're getting caught up in recruiting and uh, specifically, let's talk offense. And, you know, one position already, you know, you could attest that they're really caught up on is quarterback. I mean, Nebraska has Adrian Martinez. They have McCaffrey on campus right now. He got here in, in January. Uh, they have Logan Smothers, excuse me. They have Logan Smothers already committed uh, for the 2020 recruiting class. We saw a number of 2021 offers already go out because of where they're at. Have you ever seen it at Nebraska where the quarterback recruiting is this far ahead? No, I haven't. It's it's it, it, kind of unprecedented territory right now as far as quarterback recruiting goes uh, to be that far ahead where you're making three 2021 offers on the 2019 signing day. Um, and that's – that's a testament to, to how well they've recruited the position. Um, and, and I guess what's even more impressive is that you have a, a guy like Adrian Martinez, who is your starter as a true freshman, uh, yet you were able to go out and get one of your top targets in Luke McCaffrey, who's already on campus, and you've got your top target in Logan Smothers already committed. And that allowed Mario Verdusco to really go out and focus in on that 2021 class all throughout the contact period that just uh, came to a close over the past couple months, and which eventually led to them offering three new guys on signing day. And then you're going to see, I think, a handful more uh, 2021 offers go out here over the, the next week or so. So, um, I mean, it's extremely impressive. And you just look at the track record that these guys have with quarterbacks, and, and that's immediately going to grab the attention, I think, of, of a lot of these prospects. And uh, we'll probably be talking about some of these guys making their way to, to Lincoln here uh, over the near future. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, we look at just kind of the breakdown here of the offensive class. Four offensive linemen, three running backs, three receivers, one athlete um, in Wandell Robinson. They also list Ethan Piper as an athlete now as well. I, I don't remember if that was the case uh, back in the, the the previous cycle, but he could play offensive line, defensive line, one quarterback, one tight end. Um, just when you look at that group as a whole, I, for me, Nate, the offensive line, just the length they've added, um, four guys – all of them have just great measurables and great overall size. Yeah, they, they've got terrific frames. Uh, they're all really good athletes, um, and and I think that's that's probably the group that that I'm I've been most impressed with uh, that they're bringing in uh, because these are all players um, that you know you got a guy like Bryce Benhart who I think uh, could come in and, and play possibly even as a true freshman, and then you got a couple guys like a Jimmy Fritchie or a Matthew Anderson that that maybe you know a year or two away at least, but they have extremely high ceilings. So I think they brought in a, a good mixture of guys that, um, that that could play right away, but also guys that, that have uh, very high ceilings and, and uh, you know I think can become uh, major. 
major players along that line for for years to come and and for whatever reason Nebraska has struggled recruiting offensive tackles for so long. Even but, in history, they don't really have true yeah. NFL offensive tackles. I mean, they're great tackles like Wiegert, um, Carl Nix. I mean, they played guard. Um, mm-hmm. when, you, when you look at guys that went on in the NFL, they weren't tackles in the NFL. And Zach Stirrup is, you know, then Alex Lewis. I mean, Mike Riley was pretty blessed with having two NFL level tackles on his team. And, and even I know there's a lot of um, Nick Gates. I mean, people are going to be critical of him, but he was an NFL level guy. He's in the league right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that was probably one of the better runs of perimeter outside tackle guys they've ever had at Nebraska. Yeah. And, and I don't know if I recall a class where they've brought in this many tackle bodies, and, uh, you know, it, that, that I think are going to be really good football players down the road than they have in, in this year's recruiting class. So um, I, I think the offensive line, it was, was definitely a priority for the Huskers in this cycle and and I think that they kind of hit it out of the ballpark with with some of the players that they're bringing in yeah Kavanaugh uh, former offensive line coach Mike Kavanaugh we were joking about just the lack of tackle bodies in the region he goes I feel like I'm back in Hawaii you know and it's just a lot of shorter you know Samoan Polynesian type players yeah, interior that, guys that don't have the length because it feels like we're in another version of, of, of the islands here just because there's not a lot of length where Wisconsin, you know, just because of the genetic makeup of that area and Minnesota, there's just a lot of bigger, longer guys up there. And Nebraska has struggled over years, and it's good to see uh, that they've been able to go that route. You know, Wondell Robinson, too, Nate, he's on campus right now. You've obviously, we've talked about him at length, but um, just hearing stories about him really learning, as Scott Frost said Wednesday, multiple positions. And that's not a surprise, but you can just get the sense they are getting this kid ready. Yeah, they're getting him ready to roll. And, um, you know, a lot of times I'd like to kind of pump the brakes a little bit as far as what a kid's expectations are or what he's going to do right out of the gate once he steps foot on campus. But I think Wandell Robinson is the type of talent that he, I mean, he's going to make an impact immediately. Uh, he's a very special player, and, and he's going to make his presence felt at, at uh, running back and wide receiver, um, and maybe even as a kick returner, who knows. But he can do so many different things, and he's, he's just kind of built for this. He, he's an uh, extremely intelligent player. He, he is uh, extremely mature and, so, and, and physically mature too. So when you have all those uh, kind of things combined in one package, it's going to allow you to, to kind of throw him into the fire and, and have him learn a, a lot of different uh, positions and have a lot of different responsibilities, and I think he's going to react uh, very favorably. Now let's talk about the other thing. What really jumps out to me, Nate, when you look at this class on offense is the speed. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you mentioned – I mean, you, I think you wrote this this week. They have the two fastest athletes in the state of Oklahoma coming on this roster with Damarian Houston and then Jamie Nance. Yeah, two guys out of, out of Oklahoma. Both of them are, are verifiable 10, 600-meter guys. Um, you know, uh, unbelievably electronic, fast. electronic. Yeah. And then you throw in, you know, another guy like, uh, you know, like a Ramir Johnson, who is a, another track guy. And, uh, um, he's a 10, seven, 10, eight guy. Yeah. He's a 10, seven, 10, eight guy. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of speed. Um, and, and again, Wondell Robinson is another game breaker uh, there that's got a lot of speed. So all these players are are electric, uh, you know, guys that, that are going to be a problem, I think, in the Big Ten, especially in the Big Ten West, uh, when, you, when you talk about the infusion of speed that they're bringing in on offense. By the way, did you see Jerron Woodyard ran in the Frank Zavine yeah. this last weekend? And he made the championship heat, I believe he was fifth or sixth, with a 6-8-1 in the 60, which, to put it in perspective – you know, the school record for a number of years, I think it's 6.59 at Nebraska, but anything in the 6.6s is usually good enough to win a lot of meets. And he ran a 6.81 in his first meet in three, four years of running. So hopefully a guy like Woodyard maybe kind of gets things turned on because that got my attention. I'm like, I knew he was fast, but to run in a track meet like that, and Gary Pepin this spring, we talked about that. Um, he said they haven't had a Nebraska football player run on the track team in a running role um, since Riley Washington. Wow. And, um, you know, they've had some guys try. I think Eric Crouch tried, and he joked that Eric Crouch wasn't fast enough to run track for Nebraska. But you would think with some of these kids coming in, you're going to see more of Scott Frost's guys probably running track. Uh, I'd be curious if Cam Jurgens is going to try to throw or if he kind of retired um, on that, especially with his injury stuff that he kind of went through. But um, you'll see probably more guys doing track. Yeah, I think you will see more guys doing track, and and even looking ahead in the 2020 class, they've they've uh, talked about 
um, allowing some of those prospects to, to possibly run track too. There's a kid out of Kansas City, uh, Dante Manning, who is a he's a 100 meter guy and, and a, a big time sprinter out of the Kansas City area. And they've talked to him about you know allowing him to, to come here and run track as well. So uh, the, I mean, speed is definitely something that they're always targeting at the skill positions uh, in in Scott Frost's offense. And and so far they've done a great job of, of bringing those types of guys in. All right, when we come back, we're going to shift the focus over to defense where uh, Nebraska came up short maybe in a couple categories but still a pretty good group of guys to build on here when you kind of put the final bow on this defensive signing class. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, we wanted to kind of, in the in January recruiting cycle, we wanted to look around, take a look, see if we thought anybody fit us. Uh, and if they did take our best swing at them. This year was different than last year. Uh, last year there was quite a few really good players available after the first signing day. This year there weren't near as many. The guys that were got recruited by everybody. I, I've been doing this long enough to know that sometimes uh, when you want to just take another guy or two to fill a spot, um, those don't turn out as good as often as guys that you've recruited and know well. Uh, so, so we did our best to get to know some guys and, and take some looks at some guys that we thought might still be able to help at certain positions, and uh, but we weren't we weren't going to reach and, and take guys, just take them. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus. That was head coach Scott Frost. Nate just kind of talking about Nebraska's approach here down the stretch. And, you know, one, somebody on the staff used this analogy because sometimes this time of the year you can kind of just talk yourself into taking a guy. And I think there were a few visitors that came in in January where – you know, they probably could have added them to this recruiting class, but Nebraska just kind of backed off at that point. And, uh, you know, I don't know if Dylan Jordan, I mean, maybe they wanted him, but you got the sense almost they kind of folded their hand at the table and were more than content with letting him go to TCU. Uh, just because once they got to meet some of these guys, I, I, I think some of the things, um, you know, like, you know what, we could wait another year and find a better guy than this guy. Yeah, I think sometimes it comes down to, um, you know, are you rolling the dice on a kid or not? You know, and, and he talked about it. You know, you're recruiting your main guys for uh, sometimes close to an entire year, and then all of a sudden, you know, towards the end of as signing day approaches, you've only you got guys that you've only really been recruiting for maybe a month or so, and, and so you don't know them nearly as well as you know those other guys, and uh, and so sometimes you are rolling the dice on players like that, and and I don't know if if Dylan Jordan was a guy that that they fought tooth and nail to get and, and still lost out on. I, I get the sense that he, that he wasn't. Um, now, obviously, they liked him enough to bring him in on an official. But did visit. they make that last stand? Exactly. You know, when before he left town, and they're having the brunch at Wilderness Ridge or someone else, Hank Bounds' house or wherever the brunches are at now these days. Where do they take the guys, by the way, on Sundays? I, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. It used to be it used to be Hank Bounds' house, Wilderness Ridge. Um, yep, and, and or, or Wilderness Ridge. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm not sure where they where they've been taking them, but. Um, yeah. Rodizio, Rodizio's been kind of like a new hot spot. That's been their, a new a new hot spot. At least uh, they they go there at least one night to to have uh, you know have the visit the Brazilian steakhouse and uh, have the recruits load up on on a ton of ton of meat. But um, you know I I feel like Nebraska knew that TCU was going to be in home with Dylan Jordan. Uh, before he left campus, that, that later that night he was going to be hosting Gary Patterson, and and I I got the sense that if Nebraska had p- pushed hard enough, that maybe they could have got him to cancel that in-home visit. And so uh, w- once that in-home visit happened, then I, I think uh, you know the writing was on the wall for me at least that, that he was probably going to be going to TCU. Um, you know, you had a, a guy like John Bivens, for example, the running back out of Ohio. Uh, Did he, he sign with anybody? Uh, as of right now, he has not signed with anybody. Uh, but keeping his old options open, yeah, or just keep, yeah, keeping his options open. Who, who knows? I mean, he's a guy who had all of a sudden, you know, he had some really nice offers, double-digit offers, and uh, you know, he was coming off that knee injury, and and I think uh, as the recruiting process went along for him, those those options slowly dried up. Uh, and he would have jumped on a Nebraska offer had he gotten the green light to commit. Uh, and, and I just I don't think that happened. So um, the bottom line is Nebraska loved what they signed in December. And any basically anybody else that they added from that point on was going to be kind of 
icing on the cake and um, and they weren't going to reach they weren't going to they weren't going to extend a bunch of new offers or, or reach on guys uh, because of what's coming up for the 2020 class they feel really confident about uh, the guys that they're already in on uh, and they think that that could be a big recruiting class so why reach for a guy that you may either recruit over uh, in the 2020 class or that you're kind of rolling the dice on and it may you know may not end up fitting exactly what you're wanting to add to your roster yeah we've seen that too over the years where you kind of reach just to fill numbers and then you're kind of stuck with the guy for five years Um, yeah you're either stuck with them for five years and they become dead weight on your roster or uh, you know they've got some some character problems that, that maybe you just weren't quite aware of because you ha- you didn't know them long enough and uh, you know something happens where you know it's an incident uh, where they get kicked off the team or or they they decide to up and leave. I mean we've seen we've seen it all over the last ten years with with some of those late ads and uh, uh, like Frost said it's it's not I mean, most of the time it's not worth it uh, with with some of those newer guys down the stretch and still thirteen defensive players in the recruiting class. Five linebackers, four defensive backs, four defensive linemen. That that includes Darian Daniels in that number as well. So a pretty good mixture, a pretty good uh, proportion of different guys at the different positions. Uh, still, though, Nate, that, that pass rusher, it's kind of been uh, the unicorn. Nebraska just cannot, for whatever reason, find that Randy Gregory type of guy. And everybody wants that kind yeah, of guy. I mean, I mean it's, guy. it's not just Nebraska, um, but they have really struggled. And honestly – I think it's going to have to come in house. You're going to have to develop a uh, Caleb Tanner. Um, you're going to have to get, you know, somebody, um, you know, like our friend uh, Garrett Nelson or somebody, you know, one of those guys is going to have to develop into that guy. Um, just getting the truly ready-made pass rusher. I, I think we've learned it. it's really, really hard to do. Yeah, it's it's extremely hard to do. Just like a, uh, just like a ready-made nose tackle or, or defensive tackle are. I mean, those guys. Are everybody in the country wants those guys, and and so offensive tackles, yeah, yeah. offensive tackle too. I mean, uh, those are premium positions, and and uh, they're hard to come by. And so you you do have to be able to project a guy and, and get him on campus and develop him. I, I'm really I really like the defensive class they signed. I think they brought in playmakers at every level. But you're right, they they are missing that outside linebacker that can rush the passer in this defense. The kind of that prototypical guy uh, that they're still kind of you know they've got some outside linebackers on the team, but uh, I don't know that they necessarily have too many uh, of the the prototypical guys that they'd like to add um, to, with this particular defense. Let me ask you this too: with junior college recruiting for Nebraska, Dedrick Mills, the only signee, um, Desmond Bland still on the commit list, hasn't signed, probably won't sign. It's hard to say at this point, but just your view: how much has just the perception and thought process of maybe taking JUCOs changed for this staff in the last year? Because I felt like year one they had to use it to kind of catch up. Uh, but very little of any of those JUCO guys really did much in year one for the Huskers. Yeah, they really, they really didn't. Uh, you know, and we thought. I mean, and that I still have a hard time with that. It's like, wow. I mean, you, you look back at some of those guys and who they were, what they did. None of it translated here. Now, I think I think that might have impacted the staff a little bit on how they look at it going forward. Yeah, I think it did. You know, you had you had some guys like Greg Bell that looked like a Woodyard, Mike Williams. Yeah, I mean, those guys looked like can't miss guys that were going to be able to come in and contribute immediately. Uh, none of them really have. Deontay he, Williams, I think, will be he, a guy. Yeah, he, he. I mean, and he showed flashes last year. He had a, I, a couple picks. He had, yeah, I thought he played pretty well. Um, unfortunately, Will Honus, was, you know, he, he had his season cut short with an injury. Uh, so, the, you know, the jury's still kind of out on him. But I, I do think that they've been able to close that gap well enough with some of the high school guys that they've recruited that we're not going to see a huge push for Juco. One, maybe two. Yeah, I think at most three. Uh, but, yeah, typically from here on out, I, I think that you could probably expect them to, to really only target maybe one or two guys at, at their greatest positions of needs. Yeah, and, and with the coaching change at Garden City with Dominic Wad and Willie Canty down there, I'll be curious kind of what happens to those two. Two guys will, will Nebraska just kind of have a nice breakup and say, you know what, guys, you're, you're open, you're free agents at this point. Um, or, or is there any kind of loyalty left to those guys? It probably depends on how they play. Yeah, I think a lot of it will depend on how they how they play this season and, and obviously what their needs are uh, towards the end of next season. I, I don't know that we're going to see – 
um, you know, any early offers go out to those guys in the spring and, and to see them. Because they'd probably commit. Yeah, and, and to see Nebraska really push for an early commitment from any of those guys. But, um, you know, definitely they're going to be players that they keep in touch with and that they're going to continue to monitor. But um, right now, you know, I wouldn't say that they're going to be slam dunks to, to join this class in 2020. All right, when we come back, we are going to bring in House Carolina intern Grace Harmon and Robin Washett will also join us as – We'll take your questions in the mailbag next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I know Zach pretty well. Uh, I I would actually talk to Zach when he was playing here. Uh, There's kind of a Nebraska quarterback brotherhood that exists with most of of us. Zach married uh, the daughter of my head coach when I was in Green Bay. Um, She would be at practice once in a while. Coach Sherman's daughter would be at practice and in Green Bay. All I know about Zach is that he's a, he's a football guy. Uh, every, everything I've ever heard about him is how much he loves the game. Uh, so he'll give me a reason to, to try to uh, root for him and, and Cincinnati a little bit. Um, and we wish him nothing but the best. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, now Robin Washett joining us here uh, along with Husker Online intern Grace Harmon as uh, we've got the mailbag here and lots to talk about with recruiting. Obviously, Nebraska basketball Huskers lose uh, another home game, uh, this time to Maryland. So uh, a lot of basketball on the minds of you as well. But uh, what do you got out of the gates for us, Grace? All right. The first one I've got for you is in this 2019 class, what positions of need were not met? Well, I mean, pass rusher to me would be kind of where it starts. I mean, I, I just think they haven't really done that. Um, and been able to get there. And then I would say big-bodied wide receiver. I mean, those would probably be the two for me just shooting off the hip here, Nate, that would jump out. Yeah, I'd have to go with pass rusher. The outside linebacker, the prototypical outside linebacker that they want in this defense is, you know, a 6'4", 240-pound pass rusher, um, but a guy that's also athletic enough to cover in space. And those guys are hard to come by, and they, they have not been able to, to land one yet or, or to even necessarily get, you know, uh, a handful of, of developmental guys. You know, I, I think a, a, a Jameen Graham or a, a Garrett Nelson could develop into those guys down the road, but uh, somebody who could come in and make an impact right away, they're hard to come by, and, and hopefully they can – get their guy in 2020 it seemed like they probably would want to add at least another body at cornerback too would you say um you know i think that that's probably something they could continue to add depth there um but you know i i think that they're probably going to try and i would assume hit the grad transfer market a little bit so maybe they're not done yet as far as adding some of those needs all right and so is there a specific recruit th- uh that you guys think is the biggest miss yeah i mean Probably Najoku. Uh, I think when you look at how things played out down the stretch, the wide receiver, Njoku, I mean, it looked really promising for Nebraska that he was going to come. Um, but, you know, just when you look at kind of the second half, um, he was a big-bodied receiver. Uh, that's one that jumps out to me, especially going to UCLA, kind of a, a rival of Scott Frost, obviously with Chip Kelly there. Yeah, I'd have to go with maybe Stephen Parker, the, the outside linebacker prospect out, out of Dallas. Uh, he fit that prototypical size, and, and uh, you know he had 18 sacks as, as a senior. Was the the Texas 5A defensive player of the year, uh, and he ends up going to Kansas. and And I know he, That's he a had, shocker. Yeah, well, I mean, and he had a great relationship with with the coach uh, at Kansas, who who had previously been at Texas Tech. Um, you know where. Uh, Stephen Parker had been committed to so he had that relationship he had that trust factor with Emmett Jones the the coach at Kansas and that's why he went there but at the end of the day uh, that would have been a really nice four-star outside linebacker uh, that they that they missed out on to the Jayhawks. All right we've got a basketball question coming up next so when the Huskers struggles began did you ever envision it getting to this point? Absolutely not Um, (laughs) you know as most people know I was pretty bullish on their chances this year as were a lot of people Uh, and a lot of that had to do with what they had coming back not only with talent but the veteran senior leadership that they had you know I knew obviously every team hits adversity but to see them fold the way they have this year, um, you know, when just a few things haven't gone their way and how problems get compounded with other problems and they get compounded with other problems, I never saw that coming. I mean, the, the way that this thing has completely unraveled to the point where everything is lost, in my opinion, is astounding to me. Uh, I thought this team was far too talented and far too mature uh, for, e- for it to ever get to this point. Robin, they could lose out. I mean, losing it is out. certainly I mean, in the cards. I mean, it- 
You so, score 45 points and shoot 21% for the field, you're not even beating Delaware State. I mean, that's that's a fact. I mean, they, they're playing good defense. That's the one positive, but it doesn't matter. I mean, when you, they get, need, when you get blown out, when you allow 60 points, you got a bunch of issues right now. And so you look at the rest of their schedule, two games against Purdue, two games against Michigan, Michigan State. you got Iowa coming to town. Minnesota. M- Minnesota's playing good basketball. Mo- Northwestern's the only bad team they they're have They're probably on the only quote-unquote bad team, but you already lost to Rutgers in Illinois. And so, I mean, yeah. I mean, losing out is certainly uh, in the realm of possibility and maybe even likely at this point, given just kind of where this team is mentally. Well, we'll talk more about that in our next segment as we delve into basketball. What do you have next, Grace? All right, so back to football. How are some of the guys who got injured last year um, progressing this year so far? Well, I, th- I think the good thing is Nebraska, I mean, and this is not always a good thing, but Nebraska didn't play in a bowl game. So the month of December really helped a lot of guys get healthy. And then obviously January, they're back at it lifting and training. I mean, really, when you look at the spring, almost everybody should be back. C.J. Smith suffered a pretty bad injury against Northwestern. Um, he's going to be one that will be very limited, if not even available. Then, you know, Will Honus, I don't know if he'll be at full go. When you talk about a short, a knee injury like he had, um, that's going to be one to watch how he comes back in the spring if he's available to go um, at, at least a full speed level because he's a pretty valuable guy they need healthy for the season. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously linebacker was a, a severe depth issue for them last year, but um, I'm also going to be interested to watch Cam Jurgens. I mean, there's the coaching staff is extremely high on him in this transition to offensive line at the center position that is wide open going into the start of spring ball. And, you know, if he's able to get back to, to full health, and stay healthy. Stay. That's kind of the caveat with him. He did a 50-inch box jump this past week. I can I can confirm that. Well, there you go. So things are looking good. And if he can stay that way, um, he's going to have every opportunity to win that starting job. Yeah, you can just tell by the way Scott Frost talks about Cam Jurgens. I mean, he, he his son, like his son. Yeah, yeah. It's like he gets real excited. <laughs> he he kind of tries to to play it cool, but you can tell he gets real excited. So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to a guy like Casey Rogers and Tate Wildeman being back too. Um, Cam and, Jones, yeah, and Cam Jones. I mean, Cam Jones is a guy who I thought could have you know possibly come in and contributed as a true freshman, but it just it didn't work out, and then he had that shoulder. Uh, so getting him back <clears throat> too is going to be a big deal. And their safety play last year was atrocious at times. When you look at the final Pro Football Focus numbers for Nebraska's safeties overall, there weren't a lot of bright spots. So Cam Jones, no doubt, will have a chance. What do you have next, Grace? All right, this is looking kind of far ahead, but which players in this next year's senior class do you see having a chance to make it uh, to the NFL? Yeah, let me pull up the, the actual class here and look at that again. But I think you have to start in the defensive line. I mean, Darian Daniels, the newest guy. I mean, I think yeah, he, he's, he's, he's going to be someone, you know, he was projected as a potential draft pick, I know. Uh, but you look on the O-line, there's only one guy, Christian Gaylord. Um, on the D-line, Carlos and Khalil Davis are, are names to watch. Um, you know, Muhammad Barry at linebacker is somebody. But, really, you know, Lamar Jackson, I mean, he's somebody. But there's there's really not a lot. It's a small senior class. It's a small senior class. And they're going to have – I mean, these guys are going to have to put together great years, I think, to really talk themselves into, into the conversation of being, you know, high draft picks or, or even – draft picks at all i think when i look at the senior class right now i see a lot of undrafted free agents but you keep in mind a year ago when we were having this conversation we said divine azigbo yeah. was probably not even going to be on the team come the fall <laughs> let alone be arguably their number one overall nfl draft prospect so a lot can happen uh, over the course of an offseason certainly a season so um i think they have some guys that are talented enough to play and if they can have the senior seasons um, that they're capable of, they could be in that conversation. I'm more curious how they do the captains next year because when you look at the seniors right now, there's three scholarship seniors on offense. Mike Williams, Jerron Woodyard, Christian Gaylord. None of those guys are going to be captains. Uh, now, White Mazur is a senior. He could end up being a captain, but will they will they open the captain process next year up um, to juniors or you know a sophomore, even like Adrian Martinez? Or does Scott Frost kind of stick to the the mold of the Osborne Solich model where you didn't see juniors and sophomores as captains and they just go with maybe less captains next year? Because 
the number of seniors mm-hmm. on the roster, it's really low, and especially on the offensive yeah. side. I mean, there's three scholarship guys right now. Yeah, and so, I mean, and then you look at a guy like Adrian Martinez who has emerged as the face of your program, and yes, he's going to be a true sophomore, uh, but there is so much responsibility on and off the field riding on his shoulders that uh, if anybody is deserving of that he could title, handle it. it's him. Yeah, and he's got the personality and the maturity, uh, despite his age, to handle everything. Well, that goes and JD with that. Spielman could be a captain next year as a junior. I mean, Jack Stoll's a captain material level guy, but does Scott Frost want to go down? That 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 is a July show when we're really really slow. Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll get into that more. <laughs> what do you got last to end on here, Grace? All right, this one doesn't really pertain to me. I hope, but um, if out of you three guys, <laughs> who could grow the best looking mustache, and why haven't oh, you? Well, not me. That's for one. <laughs> I don't think Sean has ever grown facial hair. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've been on TV since 2004 and you just can't do it. I mean, when you, when you're, I mean, it just doesn't look, it doesn't come off very professional, but I think I could grow a pretty good one. I mean, my facial hair, I have to shave like three, four times a week usually um, to keep it clean. Um, So I I think I would win that battle. Uh, Nate, you're not much of a facial hair guy. No, I'm, I, I, it would, I can't grow a full beard. Like I've got like patches. I look like a, well, Greg our our, uh, esteemed videographer. I mean, he already rocks the full fledged, Goat. Yeah, he wears the goatee all the time, and and sometimes, you know, if you catch him on a busy week, he'll have uh, you know, uh, 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 the beginnings of a beard. Yeah, the, the, the small bit of facial hair I could grow would be a mustache, so I would at least you know be in the running. But I, I think if Sean let it go full on beard, he'd win. I, I just I'll <laughs> never do it though. I just I I don't have the patience. <laughs> One of these days when you retire and you just say YOLO and it would require me to go to like Canada for like a month long fishing trip or something yeah. and just say just I'm not a shaving dude, a dude's trip yeah. for like a month in a cabin <laughs> where I'm not going to be seen by anybody. Uh, but no, I don't see it. But no, we'll see. Uh, well, Grace, hey, thank you very much. Um, we will talk soon. Uh, when we come back, we'll close talk with some basketball. Robin Washout will join us for more next. You're listening to Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. It's mental. I really believe it's mental. I think it's just, you know, I don't see anybody having fun. I see stressed out young guys. You know, we've got to get back to the love of the game and be able to relax. I mean, this is the time of a lifetime. Some of these seniors only have nine more, and this is it. I mean, and so let's play with joy, a little bit of joy. And I know they want to do well, but if all you're worried about is the outcome and the consequence of that, uh, then you're going to get stressed and you're and you're going to uh, have problems. And we've been, you know, spending in individual time with guys, working with guys. Uh, but until we get out of our own way, it's not going to change. Final segment here of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett. That was Nebraska basketball coach Tim Miles following the Huskers 60-45 to home loss to Maryland, Robin. And this was a team, Nebraska, that had won 20 home games in a row before going into that Michigan State game. They have not won a home game, I believe, what, since the Penn State game? Yep. And, and that was in January 10th. January 10th. So um, it's one of the worst strings of losing we've seen Nebraska have in Pinnacle Bank Arena. Um, you know, when, when you kind of look at the streak mm-hmm. that they're on. And, it's the second longest streak since PBA has been open. So they've had one streak longer. And, and, and you look at what's ahead, it's just not going to get any easier. And. You know, you talked to Tim Miles after the game against Maryland. I mean, this is a guy that just feels defeated right now. He almost kind of knows, obviously, what's coming. Yeah, he feels it. Uh, his staff feels it. The players feel it. The fans feel it. And no one has an answer for how to fix it. And the worst part about it is, you know, there's still eight or nine games still remaining. So, uh, you know, it's you, you would think that with every loss, you know, that things couldn't get a whole lot worse. But yet they continue to fall further and further down to the point where uh, Nebraska looks absolutely nothing like the team we saw through the first two months of the season. And it's to the point now where, you know, we were talking about in the mailbag. Uh, I mean, the, them losing out is not an unrealistic situation right now. Uh, I mean, they have a very <sighs> difficult schedule remaining, um, and they're playing their worst basketball every time they take the floor. I mean, they scored 45 points, shot 21% from the field. Glenn Watson went scoreless for the first time since his freshman year. James Palmer made just two shots. Uh, I mean, you just go down the list of all the terrible things that could not happen to this team, and they are all happening at once at a very extreme level. And right, I I don't know. I mean, I I know that there's 
still ways you can try to drum up optimism or look for silver linings, but uh, there are none for me right now. I mean, this team is lost. They have no confidence. They have no belief in themselves, and they look like they're ready for the season to be over. And, you know, when you're in a situation like that, I've seen it before. I mean, go back to 2014-15, you know, there were a lot of parallels of, you know, how Nebraska was going to respond after one good season to the next, and 14-15 came up a lot. And it's eerily similar to just the dejected um, body language and just the loss of, um, you know, like I said, faith and belief in themselves uh, that you have you know, no reason to think that they're going to pull themselves out of this and they're only going to continue to sink deeper and deeper before this is all said and done. And Bill Moose, you know, a year ago was somewhat criticized because he wouldn't fully commit to 10 miles. And mm-hmm. I think we're seeing why. I mean, Bill Moose has been around as a long time as an AD and he respected what that team did a year ago, but he wanted to see consistency before he gave Tim Miles that long-term commitment. And, and I think we're seeing kind of obviously a repeat of the, the one year following their NCAA tournament year when Tim Miles was here for his third season. Yeah, and I don't know. I guess I was probably one of the more critical guys of Moose for not doing uh, the, the, a longer extension. But my take was, if you're going to extend him, lock him up. You know, I mean, don't leave this program twisting in the wind. You know, give the security just to get that out of the equation or move on. I mean, if you don't think he's the right guy for the job, why delay this thing? And my only theory is they looked around, didn't get any bites on the guys they wanted, and decided just to kind of prolong the status quo for another year and see what happened. And so... Yes, in the long run, Moose looks pretty smart doing that. Um, you know, I mean, he's he got Nebraska in a situation where they're not going to have to pay a whole lot uh, to get rid of Miles. Um, you know, with just the the few remaining years on his contract, and you know, maybe the opportunity to hire a, a guy that's on that little list in his desk drawer is going to be greater uh, come the end of this season. But uh, you know, I, I guess it's just it's hard for me to think that um, the top flight guy that. Nebraska wants so desperately to come in here and rejuvenate this program is is there waiting to, to come to Lincoln. Um, you know, I think they're going to have to either take a risk on or pay somebody on it. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, but money only takes you so far. I mean, an established coach who is you know going to be making that kind of money uh, isn't going to want to take the risk that comes with coming to Nebraska basketball. There are a lot of disadvantages here. Yes, you have nice facilities. Yes, you're in the Big Ten. But you're going to go through a complete roster overhaul. Uh, you have extreme recruiting disadvantages. And so if you're not a proven recruiter, um, which some of the people being thrown out there aren't, uh, I mean, you're going to have a hard time uh, being able to turn this thing around quickly. And then um, all of a sudden, you know, you're finding yourself three or four years down the road and another rebuilding process and fans are going to start grumbling and then you're in this cycle all over again. So it's it's a very slippery slope, but with the way things are right now, um, I'd say it's inevitable a change is made at the end of the season, um, especially you know if, if things continue the way they are and they don't make the tournament. Uh, and then it's a matter of, is Bill Moose capable of bringing in the coach that can finally take this thing to the next level? Um, you know, this, this is going to be the year to do it because uh, you look at the guys that are potential flight risks for transfer. Isaiah Roby, yeah, he's probably the biggest one, but Thomas Allen. So Roby would sit out a year, or would he graduate? He might graduate. He's a, he's yeah. a smart kid. I don't know where he is academically, but he has that, that option. You know, obviously he never redshirted. Um, but then, you know, Thomas Allen's like the only next guy that you're worried about um, that, that would leave. And so you're going to lose Gervais Green for sure, uh, and that, that would be a bummer because he's really – he's a dude. He, he's a very, very good player, and he will go – very high major uh, if he does reopen his commit his recruitment but other than that i mean there's not a lot of you know risks of you know worrying about the roster and so yeah i guess the time would be right and with the way the season is right now no one is going to blame bill moose for making the uh, change and i'd I mean, say tim miles is probably even yeah. okay with it. I mean, he, he gets it he's tearing up at post-game press conferences because he has no more answers of how to fix this thing so it's I mean, like I said, the writing's on the wall. You just got to make it through eight more games, and then uh, we'll probably turning the next page to you know, the, the next chapter of Nebraska basketball. Well, the money is there. Steve Rosen did a really interesting breakdown of the finances of last year's budget. So not this current football season and basketball season, but last year's number. And Nebraska basketball brought in $19.54 million. Their expenses were $7.98 million. So the, the basketball program right now has a surplus revenue of plus $11.5 million. Mm-hmm. So there is, in my opinion, wiggle room there to up that salary. Um, and is Miles in the high ones or is he in the low twos now? Low twos. So, I mean, I think if they're going to get the guy, 
if this happens, if they get the guy they want, they're going to have to up that in the threes or, yep. or, or go in that area. And right right now, Miles is in that kind of low 30s range as far as coaches are paid nationally. And, I mean, honestly, if Nebraska wants to get the type of guy and, like, get that elite-level coach, they're going to have to up it by – they're going to get up to that three area. Yeah, yeah, another million dollars probably. And, then, and they've got the money. They have an $11.5 million surplus right now mm-hmm. on money spent and money coming in on basketball. So the budget, I mean, for what they're doing, they, they have the money. And I do think when you look at the number of people that come to that arena, you, you don't want to lose that. And yep. you've got to keep. You've got to keep it going because if, right now, if they don't hire the right guy, there's a lot of season ticket holders that might just say, I'm done with it. Yeah, I mean, the the, the shine of the arena has worn off and you know, all those facilities are just going to keep getting older. And so you've already passed the time where you needed to strike on all this investment that the university and the city of Lincoln have put into the basketball program. And yeah, I mean, they have no wiggle room. So in my opinion, you make a change, you better go get a guy and pay whatever he needs and give him whatever uh, assets possible. Let him you know, pay his staff a whole bunch of money to get elite-level recruiters. Uh, you know, be, being able to give him every resource possible, uh, whether it's you know, more private jet access or whatever it is. The, the, if you want Nebraska to be a winner in the Big Ten Conference, you better play ball with the winners of the Big Ten Conference. And right now, they're not doing that. And they're paying Miles relatively competitively, but that's about it. And I mean, the way Nebraska recruits now, it's almost like they have to buy off the sale rack. I mean, they find like the name brand things yeah. that are left over on sale racks and yeah. say, you know what, we could, this was a nice outfit two years ago. We'll make this work now. You know, I mean, that's kind of how Nebraska basketball assembles a roster. And that's just not built for consistency in this conference. No, not at all. Especially when you have, you know, well-oiled machines like Wisconsin's and um, even in Iowa to an extent, and obviously the elite level programs in this league, uh, it is the most unforgiving league in all of college basketball, and you cannot afford to. Just well, the lack of, of population peace. in this state makes a huge difference. Yeah. Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, considerably higher well, higher populations mm-hmm. than Nebraska. Here's another issue too that I know has been brought up on our board is you know when they if they were to get a new coach. Uh, some of their longer-term commitments, especially the in-state guys, I don't think they're gone necessarily. I know that was a concern with some people that um, have asked me questions. But uh, Donovan Williams, I, don't, I mean, he wants to play at Nebraska. I mean, he likes Miles, obviously, enough to commit to him. But if they get the right coach who he has a connection with, it's not going to be a hard sell for him to stay there. And so you're talking about the best player in the state. You have a Cole Rope who's already signed. Uh, I, I think that he, you know, probably wouldn't, necessarily just all of a sudden throw things out the window just because Tim Miles is gone. Uh, I think they want to play for Nebraska. And so you're in a position now where Nebraska finally has some good high major players uh, available to recruit. And Nebraska's done a good job of getting in on them or signing them or getting commitments from them. So uh, a new coach, I think, would be in a very good position to help alleviate some of those recruiting disadvantages and get off to a much faster start than a lot of the predecessors before him. All right. Well, Nebraska plays Saturday um, on the road at Purdue, so um, it will be a tough, tough challenge for the Huskers and West Lafayette. Robin Washett, though, will have uh, all the coverage leading in and after that game on Saturday. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.